The mother's work is never done, but that will change when Jesus comes. Mom, if you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, your work will be done the moment Jesus descends from heaven with a shout and with the trumpet call of God and the voice of the archangel. And and you're called up to meet the Lord in the air. Your work will change. It'll be finished. And life for every one of us who are believers, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, your life will change at that moment. And, and so the last thing in the world you want is to be left behind. When that moment comes, you don't want to be left. I remember a few years ago, actually, that's not a few years ago, when I was a senior in college, so it's been a while. Um, we, we came back early my senior year my, for fall semester. Some of us were on the, uh, we were doing some cattle judging stuff or some livestock judging stuff. So we came back early and we kind of worked all week. And, uh, me and my roommates moved into a new apartment complex, had some new neighbors. There were some young ladies lived upstairs. And so we decided we were going to have this get together on Friday night, you know, kind of for the whole little area there. And we were going to kind of have a good time. And then a buddy of mine hooked up with me, I don't know, Thursday or Friday and said, hey man, do you want to go haul some cows to the panhandle? And of course, I grew up hauling cows and driving a big semi-truck, cow bull wagon is what we used to call them. And I said, yeah man, I'd love to do that. And so, so I went with him on Friday and, you know, kind of in lieu of the party. And, and so we traveled about 15 miles from College Station and we stood around the cow pens literally all day long. It was hot. It was miserable. And they couldn't decide what they wanted to do with the cows. We were supposed to, you know, I was going to make a bunch of money. We were going to the panhandle. Well, finally, late afternoon, they decided to send them to the sale barn in Navasota. It was 15 miles away. And so I didn't make hardly any money. Wasted my whole day. Got back to the apartment, I don't know, probably 9 o'clock. Dinner was over. Party was over. Everybody was gone to have a good time. And there I was left behind. And what frustrated me the most is I got left out and I was doing something that not only was it uninteresting uh, and irrelevant, but it was unimportant. And I would say to you this morning, you don't ever want to get left behind doing something that's irrelevant or unimportant. So you need to be ready for Jesus when he comes. Now, Amy read for us that passage of scripture, uh, and I want to focus for just a moment on two verses, and then we'll pray, and I'll share with you my thoughts uh, for this morning. Verse 16 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. He will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive or still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always, or we will be with the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning for each person in the auditorium. And I know some are here, uh, Father, that love you and serve you and have been serving you for much of their life. And God, there are some here this morning who, uh, they're new to Christ. They're new believers, young believers. And Lord, there are even some here this morning that have not yet placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. And my prayer, Father, is that today they would open their heart to Christ. And God, my prayer is today that all of us would be ready 
for this event when it comes. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us and uh, you would speak into our hearts and into our lives this morning. And when you do, uh, we will give you all the glory and all the honor. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, um, let me just kind of do a few things to kind of set this thing up, for, if you will. You may have been here the last couple of weeks, but we've talked about this whole second coming thing for two Sundays, and we're going we're gonna to deal with some other issues um, in, in the next few weeks. But, but what you need to understand is Paul was writing to this church at Thessalonica, and this is one of the first books that was written. The church was probably 20 years old, maybe, Give or take a few years, maybe 15, maybe 25. But the church was really young. But what was happening is some of the people that believed in Jesus were beginning to die. And they just kind of thought that when Jesus ascended into heaven, which we talked about on Easter Sunday and said, I'm coming back down from heaven to get my people. They kind of thought he was going to come pretty quick. And so all of a sudden, some of their people begin to die. And they were thinking, and, and they had some people teach them, hey, you've missed the rapture. Jesus has already came back and you missed it. And so Paul writes in this letter and he says, listen, I don't want you to grieve. I don't want you to be sorry like the rest of the people who have no hope. Now, interestingly enough, if, if you don't truly believe in Jesus Christ, You don't really have eternal hope, according to the scriptures. And so, but Jesus says, or Paul says to the church, he says, listen, when Christ lives in your heart, you have a hope that nobody else has. And then he defines that hope by saying, hey, if whoever falls asleep, they're just going to sleep. Now, we know that what he meant was that they die. But did you know in the Bible, the only time... The Bible refers to people dying as falling asleep. It's when it's talking to believers. Believers, if you you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you fall asleep, if you will, here. And you wake up, your spirit is awake in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it's like you go to sleep here. And you wake up in heaven. But when it talks about unbelievers, it doesn't use the word sleep. It uses the word death. It uses the word Hades. It uses the word, even the word hell. Because it's separation from God. And so he writes this to comfort them. And he says, so, so no matter what anybody, doesn't matter what people tell you. You just need to understand that if, when Jesus comes, you're not going to miss him. When he comes from heaven, he's going to descend uh, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And when he comes, everybody that went to sleep in Christ, they're going to be taken up. And those of us who remain, as soon as they're taken up, we're going to follow the second wave. And it's just going to be bam, bam. And he says, then we're going to always be with the Lord. And so that's kind of that's kind of the whole deal. And he was saying this to give them hope. And then he closes that section, that last verse. I didn't read it. Amy read it for us. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you can be encouraged that no matter what happens, soon Jesus is going to come 
down from heaven and he's going to take the church out. Now, we'll get to that in a minute. But I, I want to go back and think about, for just a minute, last week I showed you this slide of, of kind of the, the end time, the chronological view. If we have that, do we have that slide? Uh, Lucky, if you could put that up. Uh, this is kind of the, the, as I understand the scriptures, this is kind of the premillennial, pre-tribulation view of the second coming. Now, if you weren't here last week, Man, it took me 50 minutes to explain all this. So let me try to give you this snapshot here. Um, to be premillennial means you believe that Jesus is going to come back before the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's talked about in Revelation uh, chapter 20. To be pre-tribulational, and that's what we're going to talk about today, means that you believe Jesus is going to come and rapture the church before the tribulation period, which is before the thousand-year reign of Christ. So that's in a nutshell. The whole explanation is last week. But that kind of catches you up. Now, having said all that, let me just say this. When, when you start looking at all this return of Christ and you start thinking about the church age and you start thinking about the rapture and the tribulation and the battle of Armageddon and the second coming and the millennial reign and the great white throne judgment and the antichrist and all these things. Man, that is a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. Okay. And so you have to take it apart in bite-sized pieces. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these issues. We did the overview last week. We kind of talked about the millennial positions and all that stuff. If you want to check it out, it's online. If you weren't here last week, you want to listen to it, you can get online. and Or you can go to iTunes. You can go to iTunes and download a podcast and you can listen to it. Uh, it'll catch you up. Today we're going to talk about, see the arrow pointing up there kind of from the left, the one arrow going up, the rapture of believers. That's what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to spend the next few minutes and I want to hopefully give you a clear understanding about the rapture. And so we're going to, I'm going to answer three questions for you uh, about the rapture from the scriptures. So, all right, we're good with that. You can uh, take that down. So having said all that, let's deal with three questions. First of all, what is this thing we call the rapture? Theologians call it the rapture. You may have gone home and looked in your Bible and maybe you've got a concordance and you go home and you look through your concordance, you look in your concordance and you look up the word rapture and you go, man, it's not here. The Bible doesn't say anything about rapture, and he's been talking about it for two weeks, and you're going to go home tonight and go, he's spent a whole sermon on it. So what is this thing that theologically we call the rapture? Is it the second coming? And the answer is no, it's not the second coming. I'm going to, de- I'm going to de- determine the, define the difference for you in just a moment. But before I define the difference for me, let me just tell you, the rapture is, rapture is from a Latin word that means rapto. And that word means to take out or to snatch up. The Greek word here, caught up to meet the Lord in the air, is the Greek word harpazo. And now it would be really odd to, to talk to you about the harpazo of the church. So we choose to use the term rapture, which is a little bit odd too, instead of just say the taking away of the church. And so I want you to understand the rapture is the taking away or the catching up, the snatching away of the church. Now, let me define, I know we're going to cover a lot of stuff. Let me define How the rapture is different than the second coming. Okay, so let me give you about six characteristics of the differences. And I don't have a slide for this. Let me just tell you. In the rapture, Christ comes to receive his church 
in the air. In other words, when he descends from heaven with the shout and the trumpet blast and the voice of the archangel, the believers who have been part of the church or are currently part of the church, they're going to go up to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. It's going to happen in the air. Okay? The second coming, when he comes, the second coming, which will result in the judgment, he will come physically to earth. He will come back to the Mount of Olives in outside of Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, I think, is where it prophesies that he will, he will plant his feet on the Mount of Olives and there will be this great earthquake and it will split in two, north to south. So the rapture, the church goes up in the air. The second coming, he comes down to earth. It involves everyone. The second difference, the rapture is followed by seven years of tribulation. If you're pre-tribulationist, which I am and we'll talk about in a moment. The second coming is followed by the thousand-year reign. Uh, the rapture is imminent. I'll explain that in just a minute, but it means it can happen at any moment. Uh, the second coming, there are numerous signs that will precede the second coming. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation from chapter 6, uh, really through chapter 18 and the beginning of 19, it is about the events that lead up to the second coming. And so there's a lot of scripture uh, that lead up to that. All right. Uh, the rapture is a message of comfort. If, if you're saved, you're going to go. I mean, dead or alive. You're, I mean, you're going to be taken out, dead or alive, if you're a believer. And so it's a message of comfort to the church. The second coming is a word of warning to those who are not believers. It is, a, it is a word of judgment that Christ is going to come. Whether you believe it or not, whether I believe it or not, whether the world believes it or not, is, is, is irrelevant. The Bible speaks very clearly that it's going to happen, and it's a message of judgment. Another difference is uh, in the rapture, the church is of primary importance. In fact, it's only going to be the true church, believers in Christ. The second coming, man, it, it's, Israel is very significant in the second coming. The rapture is a mystery. The second coming, man, it's been talked about all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Man, prophet after prophet talked about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is going to come. And then uh, after the rapture, there's the judgment seat of Christ where all of us who are believers, our works are going to be evaluated. God's going to audit your life. Did you know that? If you're a believer, God's going to audit your life after the rapture. And, and we're, we're going to give an account, the Bible says, for every word and every deed that we've done. So he's going to evaluate. He's going to look at it. And we're going to be rewarded accordingly. Now, there's a whole sermon about that. If you, if you, if you weren't here, uh, I don't know, about four weeks ago, it's called A Fork in the Road. If you want to know about the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to cover it any more than the detail, but you can go online and check that out. It's called A Fork in the Road. Um, that'll help you with the judgment seat. But... After the rapture, the judgment of believers, after the second coming, Christ is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And, you know, the sheep are going to populate the millennium. And the goats are going to be cast out uh, into the lake of fire. And then, uh, last of all, um, actually two more. Only believers are affected by the rapture. Everybody's affected by the second coming. And then, um, and that's enough. Okay. So those are kind of the differences. And so the rapture, it really deals with us who are believers. 
And the second coming we'll talk about doesn't apply to believers. You need to know about it. If you're not a believer, you really need to know about it. The tribulation uh, is not going to apply to believers if, if it happens tri- pre-trib like I believe it's going to. So we'll cover that in the weeks to come. But let me just, let me just summarize this for you. The word rapture... That are the word for rapture in the original language is used a number of different times in the New Testament. And let me tell you what a couple of them are because it's really interesting when you listen to what that word, uh, how it's translated or what it means. In, in Acts 8.39, the same word is, is used uh, to, to catch something up speedily. In Acts 8.39, uh, the Spirit takes Philip and removes him and just snatches him away. And so it talks about uh, snatching away speedily. In John 6, verse 15, the same words used when you take someone by force and you just take them. Anybody ever been whitewater rafting? We used to do this in North Carolina. And what they were, you had to wear this vest. And what would happen is if you fell out, they told you to float on your back. Don't try to get in the boat. And what they would do is they would grab you by the vest you're laying in the water and they would grab you by the vest and they would snatch you up. It. They would just seize you by force and drag you into the boat. Well, that's the picture here that, that when that word means to grab something and take it by force. And then the word's used again. It's used in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 through 4. Paul talks about being caught up into heaven. He said, I don't know if that was a vision. I don't know if it happened physically. But it, he was taken to another place. And the word is often used of how God's going to take us by force to another place. And then also it's used one other time in Acts 23.10. It was used of rescuing someone from danger. And so here's what I want you to get this picture of. When Jesus comes to take the church out, he is going to seize his people, dead or alive, dead and alive. Okay, believers. He's going to seize us. I mean, literally, by force, the Spirit of God is going to take us. And it is going to snatch us away speedily, quickly, to another place, heaven, and rescue us from the wrath that is to come. And so that's that's what the rapture is going to be. And... That's why you don't want to be left behind because he's going to take his people out, snatch us away speedily, and then we're going to go to heaven. And then, when, then during this period, then, then the ushers in the tribulation and, and kind of all those things. So you just need to understand that the rapture is when God comes and takes his church away. Now, uh, Jesus talked about that. John 14, verse 1 through 3. We don't have time to go there, but if you want to read. Jesus said to his disciples, listen, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. Hey, uh, in my father's house, there are many rooms. There are many mansions. It's a really big place. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and I will take you. So that you will be with me where I am. And friend, I promise, I promise, you want to be taken the first time he comes. Okay, I promise. So that's what the rapture is. Now, the second question is, is when, when, when is it going to happen? 
I mean, when is it going to happen? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 says, Now about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Has anybody, have you heard about this December 21st, 2012? That, you know, there's these, this group of people that are predicting that the world's just, it's not really going to blow up, but kind of. And I was, uh, in fact, we were, we were, we were flipping the channels the other night and they were interviewing people on TV. And I don't know if it was the Learning Channel or Discovery Channel, but it was one of those. And they're talking to people that have bought into this idea that on December 21st, 2012, based on kind of the Mayan calendar, this old Mayan study they've done. And then some people believe in this planetary alignment where, uh, you know, because it's winter solstice and all this stuff's going to happen and this, this kind of rotation. And then there's an element of them that believe in this thing called Planet X. Anybody? Nibiru, I think is how you say it. But anyway, so what they're believing is that this, this Planet X is going to enter our solar system and somehow it's going to mess up the planetary alignment and the orbit is going to interrupt the orbital of Jupiter and all this stuff. And some of them, they even believe, they go so far as to say they believe that, that because this is going to happen, a lot of the gases around Jupiter are going to explode. And so it's going to mess all kind of stuff up here on Earth. And they believe that on that day, the Earth is, is the end of the world is going to come. And so they're interviewing these people, man. And, and there's people that are buying all kind of stuff, man. And they're packing it in caves. And they've started websites. And they're trying to get people converted over to their belief. In fact, they... They showed one guy with a realtor. I mean, he's with a realtor, and I think he's somewhere in Europe. And they're trying to buy a piece of land up on a mountain. They say it's got to be over, like I don't know, like 8,000 feet high. But it's got to be high enough because when all this happens, the earth's going to flood again. And so all this stuff's going on, and I'm watching, and then I get online, and I read about it. And, you know, and these people are serious. You see, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I don't know. I just know the Bible says we shouldn't worry about times or dates. The Bible says we should be ready. No matter when it comes. I mean, you should be ready. If you're not a believer, you should give your life to Jesus. Now, so you can be ready. And if you're a believer, if you're already a believer, you you should be utilizing your life. You should be investing your life in people that are in your family, people that are part of your friend circle, people that are part of your work circle. You and I should be busy, busy, busy doing the work of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, uh, turn right in your Bibles. Let's go to Jude. Jude, you know, we never look at Jude. It's the last book before Revelation. It, it don't even have a chapter. It's got verses. Okay, it's the last book before Revelation. Listen to chapter 22. Um, well, I'll tell you what, let's back up. And, and begin in verse 20. Now, no, if you believe the, if you believe the Bible's true, if you believe Jesus really is coming and the rapture's coming, what should you be doing? Listen to verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So as we're waiting for that to happen, we should keep ourselves in God's love. We should build ourselves up in most holy faith. Now listen, look at this next verse. This is what you should be doing. If you believe in Jesus and if you're born again, this is what you and I should be doing. Listen to this. Be merciful to those who doubt. Some people don't believe it. I mean, some people think we're crazy. Just like I think the Planet X people are crazy. Okay? 
And it's okay. It's okay. But we're to be merciful to those who doubt. Now listen to this next statement. Snatch others from the fire. Catch them away. Quickly seize them. Remember all those definitions? We need to seize them. We need, we need to do whatever we can to snatch them away. Why? Because we know that we know that we know that one day soon Jesus is going to come. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. And, and he's going to come. And it's going to happen. And we know that it is going to happen. And so that is what the rapture is. Now the question is, the, the second question is, when is it going to happen? Well, we don't really know. So what do we know about the timing? Now, I won't argue with you over the timing of the rapture. If you believe it's pre, uh, post-tribulational, that's something. But in fact, let me just review the, f- the five views of when the rapture might come. Can we put that slide too? Post-tribulation believes that after the tribulation period, before the reign of Christ, Jesus is going to come get the church. Mid-tribulation believes, you can see it up there, the rapture occurs in the middle of the the uh, tribulation after three and a half years, you know, the, for three and a half years, the Antichrist is a pretty nice guy. He's got all the problems of the world solved. After three and a half years, he takes his mask off and he begins to destroy and, and everything. And mid-tribs believe that that's when the church is going to go out. Pre-tribulation believes that before the rapture or before the tribulation, the church is going to be raptured. Then there's a fourth view, if you'll put it up. It's called the, the partial rapture. Now, this one is interesting. I don't find a biblical, a real good biblical basis for this. But this one's interesting because it says that Jesus is going to come. He's going to get the Christians that are ready and take them out. And if you're not ready, if you're messing around or not doing what you should be, he's going to leave you and he'll come back later and get you. I just don't think there's a biblical basis for that. But how bad would that be to know you missed it on the first trip and you got to stay and you got to endure all that stuff that's written about in Revelation? I mean, dang, you don't want to be here for that. I mean, I'm serious. You go home this week and read Revelation 6 through 18 and see if you want to be here for that. You don't. And then the last view is that pre-wrath rapture. Marvin Rosenthal wrote a book back in, I don't know, the 80s or 90s and said this is going to become the prevailing view and it, it... it really hasn't, but he thinks that maybe after Revelation 7, about Revelation 8, of course, you've got to read those two chapters to figure that out in the middle of those trumpet or bowl judgments or seals, whatever, they, whichever one there, that he's going to come and take the church. Now, let me just say this. I tell you all those, but let me just, it's inevitable that the rapture is going to come, but there is, I, I, I think it's pre-tribulation. I think Jesus is going to come for his church before the beginning of the tribulation. I believe the Bible best defends that. But I will also say, I will not argue with you over the timing of the rapture, to quote Daniel Aiken at Southeastern Seminary. I will argue with you about the truth of the rapture. It is going to happen. Exactly when is up in the air. Personally, I'm pre-trib. If you want to be one of these others and you can see the scriptures and say, that's what I really believe. It's okay. There is room for discussion on the timing. There is not any room for discussion on whether or not it's going to happen. It will happen. Write it down in the front of your Bible. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Second thing about the, the second thing we know, not only is it inevitable, but we also know with regard to timing, 
It is imminent. Now, the word imminent is interesting because uh, imminent means to... Um, I'm just trying to say how I want to... It means that it's looming, but it can... It can happen right away. You've ever been in one of those thunderstorms and it, you know, it's just, you know, where the wind's blowing and, and you know it's coming, but you don't know exactly when the rain's going to start. Some of the, some of the clouds blow. I mean, it's looming. It's imminent. You know that it's going to happen, but you're not as sure exactly when it's going to come. Well, that's the way it is with Jesus. It is looming. It is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And that's what imminent means. I mean, today you could go home and sit down to dinner. And before you drink your tea, we could be gone. I mean, it is that imminent. Now, let me, let me tell you why we know that it could happen that quickly. Let me give you a couple uh, reasons for Scripture. Uh, first of all, enough prophecies have already been fulfilled that Jesus could come at any minute. Number one, um, Israel's return to the land. I mean, in 1948, Israel came back, and a lot of people thought that would never, ever happen. And he came back. A second reason we know it's imminent is Russia's rise to prominence. If you read Ezekiel 38 and some of these Old Testament prophecies, man, Russia, I mean, it doesn't say Russia, but it talks about Gog and Magog and these countries to the north. Man, it is in the scriptures. And all of a sudden, Russia rose to prominence uh, in, the, in the middle of the last century. And then number three, there's the revival of the Roman Empire. Uh, talked about in Daniel and also in Revelation 17. Did you know that in, in the last few years, we now have a European confederacy? You know, they have a euro now. I mean, you, you know that. Well, this has all happened. I mean, the scripture talks about how that stuff is going to come back and become true. Israel's back. Russia's rose up. This... European confederacy, similar to the Roman Empire, has reared its ugly head. Uh, there's the rise of the occult that's uh, prophesied in 1 Timothy 4. There's a wealth of eclipses, earthquakes, natural disasters, famines, pestilence, all those things that Jesus talked about, that the prophets talked about. I mean, they're happening. And, and all that means, here's what that means. It means it could happen that quick. It's imminent. It's inevitable. Another thought about the timing is... That it's going to be immediate. First um, Corinthians 15 talks about how it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. It says we will not all, verse 51 says we will not all sleep. But we will all, there it is, but we will all be changed. And so if you're dead, you get a new body on the way up. But you go up first. If you're alive, you get a new body on the way up. You just go up second. But dead or alive, when you go up, you're going to be changed. Go to the next verse. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. The word flash in the Greek uses a word atomos. We get our word. Remember science? Remember when we studied atoms? You know, the atoms are the protons, neutrons. I think I got that right. But the, ad, the, the reason they use the word atom uh, in, in there is because atom means uncut and indivisible. In other words, this flash, this twinkling of the eye is the smallest unit of time. It's impossible to divide time any smaller. And the Bible says that when Jesus comes and takes out his, his church, it's going to happen in the smallest 
unit of time, this indivisible, I mean, you know, we think of snapping our fingers or blinking our eye. No, 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 no. This is going to be so quick. I mean, it's just, boom. It's all done. We've been gone. And so it's, it's immediate. There ain't going to be no getting ready. It is in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. He's going to come and he's going to take his church out. And so it is inevitable. It is imminent. It is immediate. And so I need to ask you, are you absolutely certain that you are ready when it comes? When it happens, are you ready? Now, there's one other question I got to answer and we'll wrap up. Who is going to go in the rapture? Is the question. Who is going to go? Listen, this Daniel Aiken tells this story. He says there is a tombstone in the state of Indiana. It's across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. And in a graveyard, the tombstone says this. It says, Paul, stranger, when you pass me by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Well, somebody came along and read that, and they didn't like it, and here's what they wrote. They, they said this, To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. Man, I don't want to follow anybody if they're going to the wrong place. Do you? This is honest truth. This is probably 12 years ago. Maybe 14 years ago. I'm sharing Christ with this guy. He's 90 something years old. I mean, he's old as the hills. And he and his wife had died. And I'm sharing with him about getting saved and giving his life to Christ. And he says, well, but I don't know that my wife went to heaven. And if she didn't go to heaven... I don't want to go to heaven. And he never would, to my knowledge, give his life to Jesus. He never did. As far as I know, he never did. And he was a good old boy. But he never gave his life to Jesus. But can I just say this? And this is, this is not in the notes, but let me just tell you. If somebody in your family, based on what the scripture says... If somebody in your family died and went to hell, they would want to come back and tell you, you don't want to go to that place. You read Luke 16, Luke chapter 16, beginning, I think it's in verse 19. It tells us this guy goes to hell and he says, hey, somebody, can I go back and tell my brothers? Somebody go tell them. You don't want to follow somebody if they go to the wrong place. You don't want to follow them. So who's going to go? Are, are people that try to live a good life and be nice, are those people going to go to heaven? No. Is it people that are church members? Is everybody that's going to be in the rapture, is it just if you join the church and become a member of the church, does that mean that you go to heaven? No. Does that mean that you get in a rapture? Not necessarily. Is it everybody that tries to be a good boy or a good girl? No. The scripture says the dead in Christ will rise. The Bible says those who are in Christ, those who have been born again, those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, those are the ones that are going to be in the rapture. And then Paul says, well, you said, but that's talking about the dead. What about the live? Well, Paul says, we who are left 
And if you read the context, starting in verse 13, he's talking about brothers. The brothers at Thessalonica. If you want to read about the brothers at Thessalonica, chapter 1 talks about how they are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Talks about how they had repented of their sins and they had become imitators of Christ. And all he's saying is those who have been born again, whose life has been changed by, by Jesus, they're the ones that are going to go. And if you've been born again, you're going to fly. But if you're not born again, you're not going to go. You're going to miss the trip. And if you miss that bus, it's going to be tough. We'll talk about that next week. Let me tell you the story and I'm done. My daddy, my daddy's never heard me preach. Matter of fact, my daddy never knew I was a preacher. My daddy probably rolled over in his grave when he found out that I was going to be a preacher. But growing up, my dad... Hardly ever went to church with us. He was a cowboy, a rancher, a truck driver, just all these other things. I can count on one hand the number of times I remember my daddy going to church. That's what I remember. Later on through college, he started going significantly more than he went when I was a kid. But just keep in mind, if he went five times while I was in college, that's significantly more than I remember him going growing up. After my first semester, my senior year, I get home from college on a Monday. And, uh, you know, we're pedaling around doing the thing. That Friday night, I was going with my mom to this dinner there in the community. And we were getting ready to go. And my dad's experiencing some chest pain. And so he wants my brother to go get him some medicine. And so we just decided we'd load him up and take him to the hospital. And so we drove, it was about 15 miles to the medical center at Gainesville, Florida. We drove him to the medical center, got to the medical center. They took my dad out of the back seat like a sack of potatoes. They put him on a gurney. They worked on him for 45 minutes and they never revived him. And he died that night of a massive heart attack. And I went home that night and I was convinced that my daddy died and went to hell. Because I just, you know, people without Jesus go to hell. And so we notify the family. My sister flies in from, she, I can't remember if she was still in Illinois. Or, but we all get, Saturday night, we're gathered around the kitchen table. And, and this is kind of morbid if this hadn't happened for you. But if you've lost somebody in your family, you know how this works. And you start looking through their stuff. And we start looking through my daddy's stuff. And in his wallet, there, he's got all these cards and different things. And in his wallet, uh, we, they pull out this card. And there's a card that says, I, Harold Phillips, received Christ as my Lord and Savior, and it's dated about a year or so before then, and then he had signed his name. He had given his life to Jesus Christ. And see, I believe that when this rapture happens and Jesus comes down from heaven with a shout and the trumpet sounds, that out of a little grave in Williston, Florida, at Orange Hill Cemetery, my daddy's going to pop up out of that grave and he's going to meet Jesus in the air. Not because he was a nice guy. Not because he was a churchgoer or a church member. Because my daddy received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that's why I have hope. That's who's going to go. Those who have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
And so my question for you this morning is have you personally opened your heart to Jesus Christ? It's not about being a church member. It's not about being a church goer. It's not about being Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian or anything. It is about repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. For with your heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So my question for you, have you opened your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you opened your heart to Christ? Yes or no? Yes or no? If it's yes, you go. If it's no, you're left. That's it. That's it. So where are you going? Where are you going? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I know this is a heavy message for Mother's Day. But I also know that one day soon, Jesus shall part the clouds. And he's going to call. And when he calls, you got to be ready. There ain't no getting ready. You got to be ready. And for some of you, a number of you here this morning, you have never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. You never have. Maybe you've joined the church. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you're, you go to Sunday school. Uh, maybe you're a good guy. And, and, and that's all okay. But if you're not born again, by repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Christ, you're going to miss it. And so my question is, would you be willing to open your heart to Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray this morning, right now, and ask Christ to come live in your heart, to forgive your sin, and give you a brand new life? If the answer is yes... I would, I would encourage you to, to say a prayer, this prayer or one like this to him. Now, praying the words are not really what matters. What matters is that you're sincerely in your heart want to surrender your life to Christ. But if you'd be willing to surrender your life to Christ, to open your heart to him, you can say this prayer to him and ask him to come into your life. You can say, Lord Jesus, I realize that I've sinned and I've come short of your glory. Jesus, I know you died for my sin. So today I repent of my sin. I turn away from my way of doing it. And I open my heart and my life to you. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Come live in my heart and give me a new start. Friend, the Bible says that whoever believes on him will not be disappointed you will not be disappointed would you give your life to him today would you surrender your heart to him today 
A number of you here, you're already believers. But you're not really waiting intentionally. You're not snatching others from the fire. You're, you're just kind of doing life. I wonder this morning if you'd be willing to get serious about following Jesus. Just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. Maybe as a believer, you need to make your way down and kneel at the altar and just ask God to help you get serious about following Christ. Will you say yes to Him today? Father, I pray in these moments that you'd have your will in your way in every person's heart and in every person's life. God, I pray for those who don't believe and are struggling and wrestling with that decision. They're just hoping I'll stop and they can get out of here. And God, I just pray. Father, I pray that they would surrender today to Christ. Father, for the believers that are here and that are just kind of doing ho-hum their own thing, I pray that we would surrender our hearts to you and do it afresh. That you might have your way and your will in every life. And God will give you the glory and the honor for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. If you've never given your life to Christ, I I would ask that you step out from where you are. I'll be here, Wyatt's here, Kyle's here. We'd love to take God's word, show you how to be saved. We'd pray with you. If you're a believer and you need to come and pray, man, we'd love for you to come and pray. If you want to come and join our church, obviously we'd love for that to happen. Uh, We'd talk with you about what it means to be a church member and born again. We want you to say yes to Christ. And so I hope that you'll respond to him affirmatively. Now, it might be that you're not quite ready to come up here in front of all these people and do that. I hope you will. I mean, Jesus was ready to hang on a cross for you. But if you're not, there's a response card. It's called guest information. It's in front of you in the pew there. And it might be that you want to give your life to Christ or you got some questions you want to renew your life to Christ, and I would encourage you to just put your name and number on that card, turn it over on the back. There's a place for you to check, hey, I want to renew my commitment to Christ, or I want to give my life to Christ. We'll give you a call this week, and we'll help you walk through the process of following Jesus. Friend, listen, this, this is too important not to deal with today. So why don't you say yes to Jesus? Let's stand together. If God's leading you to make a public decision, maybe to be saved or to be baptized or maybe to join our church, why don't you come? Dan's going to play. If you need to make a decision, you come.